Let's get started. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for today. Thank you for those that are here and those that will be listening. We ask that you lead this service and put a watch over my mouth, lest I sin against you. Prepare and open our hearts and minds to receive the message you gave me to bring to the people. Holy Spirit, I ask that you make me sensitive to what you are saying and willing to repeat what I hear you say. Bless me with the ability to communicate with great clarity, Lord God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a few years ago, and some of you may have heard this, but I, I never had it in the sermon. So, a few years ago, when my now son-in-law was dating my daughter, we had invited him over to dinner one night so we could get to know him. And at that time, I had a family picture on the wallpaper of my phone. It was just like a regular family picture of the, the four of us. I went to open my phone, and when I went to open my phone, I had a different picture that, was, that would pop up on the home screen, and then you could swipe up and it would disappear and it would go back to your regular, your regular. So you can have two different pictures. And I was looking up a recipe, and Zach happened to be standing near me, and looking over my shoulder, he saw a picture. And then I swiped up and I, when I went to look for the recipe and he, he immediately, the little telltale, <laughs> gotta be careful with that because he'll tell on you. But he looked it straight at Frank and he says, there's another dude, picture of a dude on her phone. And my daughter who was across the kitchen just busted out laughing because she knew exactly what it was. And then Frank kind of laughed and chuckled a little bit. And he's like, that's a picture of Jesus. <laughs> so I bring that story up because we as believers, sometimes we think everybody knows what he looks like. Right? And bless his heart, Zach, you know, was not raised in church. He was not familiar with the rendering of Jesus. So he didn't understand this picture because it was, it was fairly, it's, it's not, it's fairly new compared to a lot of the other pictures of Jesus that are out there, a lot of the paintings that are out there. Many artists of the Renaissance era depicted Jesus with European features, with long hair, looked frail looking, and I have seen Jesus depicted in many different ways over the years. Different skin tones, different hair textures, different hair lengths, muscular or not, mostly the lack of muscular. But when I saw the one that I now have on my phone back in 2005, it captured my attention because without anyone telling me who it was, I knew it was Jesus. And I knew it was the most accurate depiction that I had ever seen. Most of the pictures I had seen of Jesus made him look frail. He always had long hair, brown eyes, and sometimes even looked rather feminine. So none of those images ever stood up to the image that I had in my own mind of what Jesus really looked like until I saw that picture. None of them matched what the Bible said about him either. So I want you to remember what I had told you before that the New Testament often mirrors or reflects the Old Testament. And most of what we see in the New Testament is also found in the Old. So let's go to Daniel 10, 5 through 6. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from a paz around his waist. His body was like beryl his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Then I want you to go to Revelation 1.13. 
Now, in case you're wondering about burl, burl it can be in many different colors. It's a stone, but one of the colors that it is, that it comes in, is almost this color of brown. It's more, kind of a little bit of a darker to medium brown, so he had an olive complexion. So Revelation 1, 13 says, And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now, if you remember what you read in Daniel, it sounds very similar in Revelation. Now hop over to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in his righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Diadems are crowns, in case you don't know what that is. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, pure and white, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule, he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath, wrath of the God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this kind of gives us a better picture of what the Bible says that Jesus looked like. And I feel that that's important because how will you recognize him when he comes back? He's coming back and we cannot be fooled by anything other than Jesus. There's going to be lots of pretend Jesuses. There's going to be a lot of fake Jesuses that are going to say, here I am and we're not supposed to listen. The first time he came, he did not come, he came in peace, he did not come to war. The Hebrews, the Jewish people, they thought he was coming to war, and then when he came in peace, they were confused. That's why a lot of them didn't see him for who he was. I also wanna say here that he had King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his thighs. That means he had a tattoo, <laughs> just saying. That's not the only place, that, because it also says in the Old Testament that God has our images engraved on his hand, an engraving or a tattoo on his hand. Just saying. So everybody who says you can't have a tattoo, wrong. <laughs> anyway, back to, back to Jesus. So my question was, does any of this, because I wanted us to have a picture. The Lord was like, he was like, show them who Jesus was who Jesus is. So does any of this sound like a frail, effeminate Jesus? No, of course not. Neither did the picture that I saw in 2005. In that painting, Jesus had green eyes, shorter hair, he looked manly. Jesus was a muscular man. He worked with wood and stone and he built things. 
He had rough hands. He most likely had a beard. He had Jewish features and an olive complexion. Now, I want us to remember, because we're getting ready to go into the genealogy, now that we've known his physical appearance, we're going to go into his genealogy, but I want you to remember that the human part of him came completely from Mary. Completely. God provided a Y chromosome. I have even heard some people speculate that more than likely Jesus only had 24 chromosomes. And in case you've forgotten your biology class, high school biology class, you get 23 chromosomes from your mother, you get 23 chromosomes from your father, and they come together and you get 46 pairs, or 23 pairs, 46 chromosomes and 23 pairs to make up a new human being. But to say that he, that God just provided the Y and that Jesus had just 24 chromosomes, that in itself would have been a miracle. <clears throat> because how can a person even grow without the proper DNA. I'll definitely be asking God that question when I get to heaven. I, I that, that just, cause the biologist in me is going nuts over that. But we do know that his, the human part of him was only Mary, right? So now that we have an idea of what Jesus looks like and we're getting ready, we, we've learned about his human part, we're gonna look at his lineage. So go to Luke three. In the Gospels, we see two lineages. One is in Matthew, which was Joseph's lineage, but the one that we're going to look at today, uh, we're going to look at both of them, but we're going to look at this first. We're going to look at Luke 3, which was Mary's lineage. So it's Luke 3, 31 and 32. The son of Malia, the son of Minna, the son of Mattatha, and the son, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nishan. This was Mary's lineage. At this point was where Mary and Joseph's genealogies merged. So after David, Joseph's lineage goes to Solomon, and after David, Mary's lineage goes to Nathan, and that's where the, the genealogies split. So both of them, both of these genealogies had went to David, to Jesse, to Obed, to Boaz. Now this is the why it's, this is important. In verse 32, the word says, Obed, Obed, the son of Boaz. Does anybody remember who Boaz married or who his mother was? Okay, so let's go to Matthew 1.5. Matthew 1.5, and Salmon, not Solomon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. Now, Boaz, his mother was a Gentile from Jericho, a known prostitute, and she was known for helping the spies of Jericho to enter into the city. That was what his mother, that was his mother. His wife was also a Gentile, a Moabite widow known for her allegiance and loyalty to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, why am I talking about these two women? They are the only Gentiles in the genealogy of Jesus. You see, I have always struggled, or I did until the Lord showed me this, these passages, and I've known this for a while, but he's brought it up to me again to bring it today. 
<clears throat> as he started talking to me about bringing you guys a word about who Jesus was. And I've struggled with the idea of being a Gentile and the idea of adoption to the family of God because I was adopted. So I know that being from being adopted in real life, I was treated differently. I know my, my dad loved me, but he treated me differently. And I had, I had a lot of hurt from my, the rejection of my biological father that was going on in my life. And now I have to deal with, he treated me differently. And not only did my, did my dad treat me differently, but my mom treated me differently because she saw my biological father in me and caused her to treat me differently because it was a different time of her life. And there was a lot of pain there. So I used to struggle with the way my heavenly father saw me because of the imperfections of my earthly fathers. And as a non-Jewish person, I wondered, did God see me as loved but adopted? And because I was a Gentile, did that make me second class? The answer is a resounding no, but I did struggle with this for years. When I started to question who I was in Christ, that was the scripture. This was the scriptures that God showed me. Only two women in the genealogies that were Gentiles in the Bible, in Jesus' genealogy, and one of them was a prostitute. I struggled with this. And I was like, Lord, you know, what does this mean? And what he told me that day was that this was not a coincidence. It was on purpose. He told me to never doubt his love for us. He has never seen us as anything less than his beloved child. We are not less than. Paul talked about it. So let's go to Romans 11:24. For if you were cut from what is by nature, a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Both are olive trees. One is cultivated, one is wild. Both are children. One is Jewish, one is Gentile. But they're both children. And this is how he explained it to me. When we become believers, we are grafted into the chosen children. And the Lord told me, that just like an olive tree, the same water, the same nutrients flows through the cultivated tree as it does through the grafted shoots. The same Father God, the same Holy Spirit, Yeshua, flows in our veins, in our spirit man, that flows through the chosen people because we have become the chosen. I'm telling you this today, and the Lord brought this up to me and told me to talk about this, my own struggle with this, because somebody has been struggling with this. They're struggling with their identity in Christ. Now, we have looked at the physical Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, and how it relates to us. So now let's look at the attributes of Jesus. Jesus fully displays the fruit of the Spirit throughout his lifetime when he was here on earth the attributes of the Father through Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that moved in Him moves in us. So we should be reflecting these. Go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5.22. And while you're looking for Galatians 5.22, <clears throat> I will tell you what these are. So Jesus 
fully displays the fruit of the Spirit, the attributes of the Father, and they are love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, and self-control. Now Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So in case you were wondering what meekness is, because I know I struggled with meekness because a lot of people misconstrue meekness for weakness, and it is not. Meekness, the definition is essentially an attitude or a quality of heart whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else, and particularly for God. So meekness is not weakness. It is a heart place where we willingly accept and submit without resistance to the will and desires of God. Now, I put temperance in there because temperance is often thought of as self-control, but it's not. Temperance is emotional control, and that's the reason why people think that it is self-control. But I want you to think about this. They are completely different. Because self-control says, here is a candy bar. I'm going to choose not to eat the candy bar. And that's self-control. But temperance is emotional control. And that says, I'm not getting my way and I want to throw a fit. But I'm choosing not to throw a fit. Does that make sense? So there are two different things. Self-control is also temperance, but temperance is not self-control, okay? What was the other one I wanted to talk about? There was another one I wanted to talk about. Long-suffering. So I added long-suffering because long-suffering is patience. So, and, and a lot of times in some, some versions of the Bible, you will see the word long-suffering. So whenever you see that, just understand that that is patience, okay? So let's go. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Self-control, which is what this is talking about, self-control, is the manifestation of God's work in man through the Holy Spirit. Paul elaborate, elaborated in his teaching on self-control that, that Christian self-control results. You gain self-control from Holy Spirit's indwelling. If you're having issues with self-control, it's because you have not allowed Holy Spirit to indwell. You have not communicated with Holy Spirit in a way that allows Him and given Him permission to get you into the, the realm of self-control and operate in the fruits of the Spirit. We should carry love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, and self-control. Does the world see these attributes 
and us? That is the question. That is always the question. Because we should be reflecting these attributes of Jesus because they come from Holy Spirit and we should be filled with Holy Spirit. So your assignment this week is to do some self-reflection. I want you to spend time with the Lord and ask him what areas do you need to allow him to work on you and in you and through you. In doing this and in following what Holy Spirit tells you is actually meekness. So when we are showing meekness, when we give all of this to God and Holy Spirit and say, work in me your ways. We need to put on Jesus Christ, clothe ourselves in him, and allow Holy Spirit to bring his fruit through us. <clears throat> so as we listen to the closing song, ask the Lord today to reveal to you what you are to take from this message. All right, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this message and for the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. Bless us today with your revelation knowledge. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. We ask, Lord, that you would bless all of our days with your grace, your guidance, and your provision. Keep us safe and watch over us. Lord, we pray your sustaining presence will go with us and walk with us throughout our week and bring us safely back to your house again. Lord, thank you for your many blessings and for all the tithes and offerings that are received through the week. Lord, bless the ministries that we are sowing into and for the people that are being blessed by our faithfulness. We thank you, Lord God, and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.